0: This has been an amazing series to help us to understand these sometimes simple practices that we think are simple, but it's sometimes hard for us to consistently put them into practice, yes? So um, this book and this study typically happens around Lent or Easter. It was really written for that. But the content of it was so evergreen that we felt that it could be used to help us to end the year strong in our faith. So in week one, we talked about what it means to worship and pray, these, these core things of our faith that draw us closer to God, worship and prayer. In the second week, we talked about studying Scripture and uh, how Scripture can be applied to our lives as we seek to understand it more. Week three, we talked about serving, serving one another in the world and serving through the local church. Week four, we talked about uh, giving and generosity. We talked about living lives of generosity. It's not just about money, but how we live as people of faith. And last week, we talked about sharing and witnessing. And you would have heard these amazing stories on the stage last week and how it is that God calls us to testify to the good news in the world around us. Today, we're going to wrap it up and we're going to take an interesting um, perspective as we wrap it up together. We're going to look at how Jesus expressed these five practices while on the cross how Jesus expressed these practices while he was dying on the cross, how he demonstrated the length that God would go to show God's love for us. And so Jesus says some very particular things while he's on the cross that we're going to look at that exhibit these five practices, each of them, and how we see that they were so integrated into his life. And hopefully as we look at his life and his story and what he went through, that it will transform us and it will change us and we will go out and live likewise. So we're going to jump right into it. this first um, worship and prayer as we talked about these first few practices, this is the first one we see that Jesus demonstrates. Mark chapter 15, verse 34. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what we see in this particular saying that Jesus shouts from the cross Said that this comes directly from the Psalms. Jesus here is quoting the Psalms, and what that tells us is that he intimately knew the scriptures. There were no Bible copies in Jesus's time. <laughs> there was no Version Bible app. They simply went to worship. They prayed these Psalms, they prayed these scriptures, and it became a part of the fiber of their being that it was on their lips as they read and as they worship God, as they prayed in the temples and in the synagogues. And so we see here this devotion to God, even in the most painful moment of his life as it's coming out in this verse. We know that Jesus was in the temple when he was a child, right? His parents had to fuss him about it so much, right? And then we see that later on, he goes into the temple and he reads the scroll and he says, "'Today the word has been fulfilled in your hearing.'" that we know that he was intimately aware and involved of what these scriptures actually meant and what it was to live them out, that he was consistent in his worship and his prayer life to God. So much so to his last moments of his life, he prays earnestly and honestly to God. And so because of that, again, we see that Jesus is intimately aware of the scriptures. So he studied the scriptures, right? Luke chapter 23, verse 46 says, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Again, this comes from scripture and and this sentiment comes from scripture. And there's an interesting note that one of the scholars, William Barclay, he says about this verse. Um, He says that this may have been a bedtime prayer for Jewish children. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So it wasn't such a morbid thing, but it was more of as this day closes, as the sun sets, as I sleep, I commit my life, my soul, my being to God and God's care until the next morning, right? When you think about it, we kind of have done something similar. Um, At least when I was going to public school, in the primary school, many of you may know the prayer that we would have ended the day with Now the day is over, night is drawing nigh, shadows of the evening steal across the sky, right? When the morning wakens, then may I arise pure and fresh and sinless in thy holy eyes. That was taken from a hymn. A lot of people don't know that. That was taken from a very old hymn. And so we sing these songs and we, uh, we, we say these scriptures that become such a part of who we are, a core part of ourselves. These words resonate within our hearts. And as they resonate and reverberate in us, they come ready and available to us when we need it. Right? Now, the knowledge of scripture was not enough for Jesus, it wasn't just essential for him to know what the scripture said, but to actually apply it and to live it out and to, to what it means for scripture to challenge us to serve others. So in John chapter 19, verses 26 to 27, we read these very sobering last moments of Jesus's life. When Jesus saw his mother there at the foot of the cross, then the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, here is your mother, and I love this part, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus, in his very last moments, continued to serve others, looking out for others, looking beyond himself and his situation that he's going through right now. He served his mother by making sure that she was cared for in the wake of his death. And simultaneously, he's challenging the disciple here, listen, serve somebody other than yourself. Yes, it is going to be hard in these next few moments, these next few days, months, years. But in serving someone else, you will begin to see the face of God. You will begin to see God moving in and among your relationships. His last few moments were not about self-engradizing and and to, to, to calm himself and to soothe his worries. Jesus literally gave himself away. And in the process of doing so, made sure that those around him were cared for. And his service to others was a testament to his generosity, the life of generosity that he lived. In Luke chapter 23, 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Generosity in spirit. That's that's the way that Jesus lived, always making room for others. Even his enemies, as they mocked him, as they took his clothes and they rolled dice to to get his clothes, still he asked the Father, forgive them. They they just don't get it quite yet. Tanaj said something really powerful when he talked about giving. He said, if Jesus is our treasure, we won't need to talk about tithing, Right? If Jesus is our treasure, we won't have to talk about the specifics of what it means to give, because if we truly value Jesus, we will live lives that are generous. Of our time, talent, and treasure, everything that we have at our disposal, everything that God has given to us, we will give out of the outflow of that, right? So giving as a life of generosity, what does that look like for us? And even the way that we see that Jesus continues to give while on the cross. Finally, his generous life was just a word about how he shared his faith with others and how he witnessed to the world around him, how he witnessed to the true nature of God. Luke chapter 23, 39 to 30 to 43. It's a very interesting part of Jesus' story. It says, one of the criminals hung there and hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Jesus's words here on the cross was just such an example um, of his life, of his witness to God, right? That he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And I imagine that all the things that he had said to people, or all the cries that he made aloud, these two men were hearing these things. And one of them was like, this guy don't belong here. Something's different about him. What, What is it about him that makes him so different that That makes it seem like what the state did was wrong. They made a bad call. This is not the guy that should be up here with us. We deserve this. This guy? He seemed like he only loves people, that he's only looking out for people, that he's giving of himself even in his last moments. And so it was a witness to both of these criminals, one who mocked him and the one who believed. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise, still to his very last few breaths, witnessing and saying, come into the fold of God. Come and see what God can do for you. Today around the world for many Christians, today marks the final Sunday of the Christian year. And this is called Christ the King Sunday. So a lot of times people think that maybe the Christian year begins around Easter or maybe the new year. Christian year actually begins the first Sunday of Advent, which is next week. Today caps off the final Sunday of the Christian year, Christ the King Sunday. And Jesus as King, not of this world, not in the ways that we want and the ways that we expect, but Christ who is over all and in all, turns this tragedy into triumph, turns this unfortunate situation into a moment of flourishing. And and notice that the triumph is not for Jesus himself but as a demonstration to say that this is how much God loves you. This is the extent to which God will show God's love for you. And isn't that some good news? That the worst thing that happens to us does not define our story. The tragedies and and the destruction and the the heartache that we go through cannot and never will in Jesus describe who we are to God. That God sees beyond these faults. That God sees beyond the things that have happened to us. And God and God pushes us towards triumph. The trajectory of a life in God is triumph. Hamilton in his book says this, quote, in English, it is finished may sound like a cry of defeat, but when Jesus musters the strength to shout tetelestai, it is not defeating or it's not defeat that he is signaling, but victory. He has accomplished what he came to do. He has given us a masterpiece, a divine drama in which God, through suffering and the death of Jesus, unmasks human depravity and reveals the depth of God's redeeming love. That's some good news if there ever was. Now, we looked at the way that Jesus was on the cross, and I want to pivot for these last few moments to a story that happens after the resurrection to show how God continues to walk with God's people and exhibits these these essential practices for us. So John chapter 21, verses four to 15. Y'all ain't got nowhere to go, so we can read this, right? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon heard heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards and when they landed, they saw a fire burning. They saw a fire of coals burning there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you had just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. This is part I want to focus on right here. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Why I love those last few verses, it it, it really describes for us that Jesus shows up in these ordinary seasons of their lives. They are just doing normal stuff. They're out on the boat fishing. That's what these disciples were always doing. That was their profession. They fish, right? And then they were just eating breakfast. Very common, not very special things, right? But what it does for us is it flashes us back to these moments where he was walking with them. He was on the boat fishing with them. He was sitting around the coals with fire, eating fish with them, eating breakfast with them every day as they went out in ministry. And so even after this horrific crucifixion that Jesus just went through, Jesus' presence there with his disciples. And the other two times that he showed up, it's a reminder that God never will never leave them, that Jesus was continuing to walk with them. And that Jesus is not like us, who's gonna throw out the baby with the bathwater and say, well, y'all betray me. Y'all deny me. Y'all go y'all way and since y'all think y'all bad. Right? But instead, what we see Jesus doing is that he runs after us. He waits for us on the shore and we're just going about our normal day and Jesus appears to us and says, come, sit, be with me. Right? The practices of our faith as we see lived out through Jesus' life, and even as he sticks with them and he walks with them in these moments here, it's a reminder for us that we ought to attune ourselves to God's presence, but it requires us to have some discipline to institute these practices into our lives so that when we do need them, they are ready and available to us. Last week, um, I was on YouTube and just watching some videos and stuff, and I stumbled across NPR National Public Radio in the U.S. They have this video series called Tiny Desk, and it's basically they clear the office space that they have and they set up special musicians to come in and perform a few songs. And last week, the Lion King's cast um, from Broadway, they were celebrating 25 years on Broadway. And so they came and they performed some selections from the musical and it was just so beautiful like I was just listening in awe of the way in which they stripped it down to make it more acoustic for that kind of setting and I was just thinking about how even though it's started out as a cartoon and then it became this play and sometimes it can seem very playful and childish um, when you really drill down into the lyrics and the themes of the Lion King there are some really beautiful things that come out of it and I thought about that even more again last week when I went with some my small group friends to see Wakanda Forever, right? Which was a fantastic movie, um, and don't worry, I won't give any spoilers, because I know i all go. But um, the thing that I took away the most from this is the great script writing. Um, this movie pretty much was like a surrogate for the way that the cast and crew had to mourn Chadwick Boseman, the lead character of the movie. But the movie talks so much from the very first minute to the last about grief and loss and how we carry that with us throughout time. And both of these um, movies, these, these productions, they both draw on African traditions, right? And how the African traditions honor the ancestors, particularly in both of these when it comes to grief, um, something that's the colonizers told us and people of African descent was evil, right? That it's not appropriate to refer to your ancestors and that was stripped away from people, right? I I even got into an argument a few years ago with somebody who said that John Canoe is demonic and Bahamian shouldn't practice it, which I was just blown away by that because I didn't realize that was a sentiment, but I was just like, you don't even know how free you could be. Seriously, like, like, like colonial ideals have such a chokehold on some, sometimes some of us, right? And it's just like you could be so free if you just knew the beauty of where this thing came from. I'm drawing all of these parallels to show how Lion King and Wakanda Forever reminded me of African spirituality and how a lot of African Christians today have reclaimed this idea of, of seeing both of them not as in opposition, but to see them as congruent, Right? To see that there's a way that these two can live together, that African spirituality has this way, African Christianity in particular, has this way of contextualizing Jesus, some of them even going as far as to say that Jesus is the greatest ancestor, that the ancestors never leave us, that they continue to go with us and guide us, even as we see in the Lion King where Mufasa, even after he's long gone, guides Simba and says, remember who you are, and you see this happening in Wakanda Forever as well. We see the ways in which characters appear and show up and remind these characters in the story that the ancestors are with them. So when you hear these songs, when you hear these lyrics, when you hear this dialogue, even in the wake of grief, there was still a presence. And I think that's very much the way that we can see Jesus with his disciples. He's, he's saying, listen, I, I, I'm not gonna be here. And, and his presence, his, his absence of his presence was felt by them, but he was also promising them that he was never going to leave them. And actually he promised them a helper, the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit set a fire among a set of people from all tribes, from all nations. And it began this movement called the church, which we today get to benefit from, right? Not a moment was wasted in Jesus's life. Not a single moment, even to his death, No moment was wasted. And likewise, no moment is wasted for us when we walk with God. Through every high and through every low, each each season of life, we ought to depend on God and know that in life, we're gonna walk at different paces, right? That there are gonna be some seasons where we walk fast. We feel confident. We know that God is with us. Amen, hallelujah. And then there are gonna be some moments where we're walking a bit slow because we don't have the strength to go on. There are gonna be some times where we're struggling to get up a hill. And there are gonna be some times where we tumble down the mountains, but that does not mean that the presence of God is not walking with us. And the Psalmist says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. One of the quotes that I've been, um, just really been stirring in my heart over the last couple of weeks, I used it in the previous sermon series that we did from Frederick Nietzsche in his work, Beyond Good and Evil. He says this, he says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction, thereby results and have always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. Just keep going. Keep going in the same direction, seeking God, pursuing God. In the long run, it will produce. In the long run, you will see the goodness of God. You're gonna find some thorns along the way. We're gonna find some hills and some mountains to climb along the way. But God is right there with us and we can take comfort in that. Here's the thing, we're, we're never promised a smooth terrain, by the way, right? God never gives us that assurance that, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just clear the path for you on the way. Life comes with his peaks and valleys, but like Jesus, who until his final day we can rely on the words of the psalmist. We can rely on the words of scripture. Words like this that come from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the entire earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams may glad The city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Friends, if we are willing, these five essential practices will attune our hearts to God's presence, but we got to be willing to do the work. We have to be willing to see the presence of God, the God who walks with us, the God who holds our hands, and this God who promises to never leave us Alone. Let's pray. When we walk with the Lord, in the light of His word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. God, we remember the words of that hymn today. Many of us may have heard that growing up, but now, God, we understand it more deeply that we've walked with you for some time. That we know what it is to go through some hills, through some valleys, through some tough climbs. God, you have never left us. Sometimes we feel alone, oh God, because friends forsake us, family forsake us, the world forsakes us. But God, you have been that constant presence with us that as we take a breath in, we breathe in your grace, your spirit that hovered over the chaos of the cosmos before it even began. So too, Lord, we know that you hover over our chaos. That as we walk with you, though the road may be hard, we feel that hand guiding us. We feel that hand steadying us as we walk along. And God, we give you thanks and praise and joy for all the things you've brought us through. And Lord, we just take a moment to recommit ourselves to our walk with you. To own up to the ways in which we have failed to love you with our whole hearts and we have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. That Lord, that we will remember in the worship and the prayer and the studying of your word, God, in giving back to others and in the witnessing, all of this is for your glory. That what we have experienced, oh God, may not just be kept to ourselves, but that we may give the gift of love, mercy, and grace that we have so received to others, to this world that desperately needs it. Challenge us, oh God, this week to walk with you, to acknowledge your presence, and to bring others along on this journey, this journey of grace this journey of peace, of love. We thank you, oh God, for this community and all the opportunities that it gives us to live out our faith in the world. May we live lives of gratitude for all that you've done, for Yahweh, for for all that you have promised to be, everything that we need. In Jesus' name. Amen.